It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts. Don't forget to check out our corporate career boost recruiter, and even student memberships at cbock.com. This is Dr. Jeremy Lukabal, and I'm an industrial organizational psychology consultant. In addition to cbock.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at turnboot.com. That's turnboot.com. Joining us today is Sarah Lindsay, owner-director of Taglin Events and co-founder, GSP Remote Working Consultants. Sarah, welcome. How are you today? I am super and thanks a million for having me on. Uh, I have been waiting in anticipation all morning because uh, it's two o'clock over here. So we're five hours ahead of you. And over here is in Ireland, right? The, yeah, the little emerald eye just across <laughs> the pond, our lovely island uh, in Ireland. Yeah. Good. It's good to get together. So tell, tell us about Taglin Events. You are the owner director there. Tell us about that. Yeah, sure. No problem. So Taglin Events, I set up nearly five years ago, and it's an inbound tourism company. So I look after everything from conference to a business meeting, but people arriving into Ireland. I have a couple of key clients here who use me in various different capacities. I could be seen, I could be client facing, or they just use me to help on the logistics and I, I don't exist. How did I get into the industry? My mother was a tour guide way back when, and she set up her own inbound tour operators. And from there, I ended up working for her when I came back from America. And I decided to set up on my own after a number of years. I thought I'd leave the industry, but then I was like, oh, I miss it. And a client said to me, could you please come back? And I, mm, but it was the push that I needed. Kind of hard to say no. Well, you know, if, if you're being offered business, you know, you got to run with it and fly. <laughs> Tell us also about GSP Remote Working Consult. You're the co-founder there? We're the co-founder there. So there are four of us. So back in November 2020, uh, 36 of us started doing a professional diploma in transversal skills. I hear you ask, what are transversal skills? I didn't know. But it's taking what you know and pivoting. Within the 36 people, there was a lot of industry leaders, very accomplished, a lot of accomplished people. And they, we all found ourselves on this course. The guys, myself, Pat, Fergus and Grace Ann, we ended up doing a digital entrepreneurship project and we came up with the coffee queuing app. And from there, we sort of had great energy. We had a lot in common, but we have never met which is the amazing thing for four people to go and set up a company and they've never physically met. So we're just proving how it works, how life works virtually, which is great. We are specializing in remote working solutions. So it could be anything from getting your office set up for success, netiquette, onboarding um, new employees, especially in the virtual world. Lights, camera, action is one of our favorite modules. The, the list is endless. We're getting good traction and good feedback, and it's the marketplace needs us because people are really exhausted after the past year. The onboarding aspect of that is particularly interesting to me. So many businesses, the larger company companies are struggling, 
And most of all, the smaller businesses are struggling. And some of them have been putting off even creating physical onboarding program before with this move to the virtual workspace. And it's whether uh, it's been a check the box or a back burner initiative that hasn't received much attention. Now they're being forced to pivot but without a foundation to pivot on. So tell us what with GSP, what's the work that you're, work, what that you're doing as far as onboarding in the virtual world? Sure, and it's, it is a super question. And I think, as you say, pre-COVID, was it just a check the box? Were we, in Ireland, we'd say, are they just jamming through it? Or are they being fluky and getting the employees on board when they are, are physically together? So virtually, it creates a huge problem because they haven't thought through the process. They haven't thought through the time that is required. And it, it, it is a time issue. And it's an, a, when you're a small, medium enterprise company, you are time poor and you need to pay the bills. And so you've got to make choices of what is a priority. I think virtually onboarding employees in what is going to be a hybrid world is going to be a challenge. And I think what we're offering is the HR departments or the CEO or the MD, a solution that is efficient, cost-effective, but it's also quite holistic and looking after the wellness of the employees. And I think that that shows a commitment to a new hire, but also to you know the guys that are already there. If people are adapting to this new environment, they and they see that their employer is looking after them. Well, I think that is only a positive because they will get more out of them um, in the long run. So it'll be everything like the, what we get down to. It'll be everything from looking at their setup, looking at how they integrate with the team, so that they know. For example, how I start in a new job and I don't know where certain files are. are saved. I don't want to talk, go to the box and say, can you tell me where document X is? So we create a buddy system. The other thing that we are working on is that um, there's a, a team bio or there's a company bio so that when the new person starts, they can pick up the bio and they can just have a quick flick through and say, ah, there we go. Grace Ann Fallon, she looks after the sales for the company, but she doesn't work Friday because her kids finish school early on Friday. It's little things that make the new employees life just that little bit easier so that's a, a, a little taste of what we're trying to do with our clients so it's it sounds like organizations and again especially the smaller ones can benefit from before we might have relied on look we're in person if they have questions they can ask so it sounds like organizations can do that work up front that maybe they kept putting off in terms of really organization getting things organized in the processes and that work up front will eventually save time down the line. But it's really about what kinds of questions, what will the new employee need to know? And thinking that through and thinking that out and having the processes and the information and the how-tos and the who's set up in a nice, easy process to reduce the uncertainty that new employees feel when they're onboarded to a new organization. Exactly. And it's to take that uncertainty. It's to make them feel supported. And I can give you like a live example. And um, I was pretty stunned when I heard it. We did a pre-work survey with the client and we were able to speak to a couple of employees. And we asked what was a not so positive experience of when you, when you started with the company. And this one lady started last year. And about June, so we would still have been in lockdown. And she asked the guy who was organizing her computer, could you send me out some stationery? 
because I, I, she was just off of maternity leave. She didn't have anything at home. So anyway, her box arrived with her laptop and that was all fine. And in an envelope beside the computer was a couple of sheets of paper um, and a, a half used pencil. And that was the stationery. Now, was she going to feel like these guys really like me? These guys really are going to welcome me? She was so upset and felt underappreciated. And had they sent out, you know, a new box of pens, a nice notebook, something really cheap and cheerful but effective, she would have felt welcome to the family. Instead, she felt, oh, is this what you think of me with my little stubby pencil? So it's... When I look through this, of course, you know, my lens is industrial organizational psychology. And when I look through it through that lens and all the data, all the science that's out there that tells us if you spend that extra two minutes a day or even two minutes a week really uh, appreciating an employee, finding out what their passions are, finding out what makes them tick, giving them a proper experience rather than have onboarding be a transaction. And by all means, that example you shared sounds like more of a transaction for a new employee. Yeah. It, but that increases. Companies are, we need to increase productivity. We need to increase morale. And we need to increase what we get down for our bottom line and reduce turnover. But I think a lot of companies feel that it is going to take so much time and so much work to show employees that basic appreciation. And then we have the problems of, look, everyone's putting out fires. People are adjusting to, to new processes, the virtual world. How hard is it really, Sarah, to provide an onboarding experience that makes an employee feel like, look, I'm part of the team. They really appreciate that I'm here. And I know they hired me for the talents and they want my talents rather than the other way around. I don't think it's hard at all. I think that your first, when you engage and put the processes in place, the first one, it's going to take a little bit of time and investment. But I think for every other new hire after that, it pays off. It's a bit like the, this girl had, they spent maybe just an hour getting her pack ready and getting a checklist done that she would have been welcome to the team. And I believe that it'll pay off in dividends. So while there is a little bit of investment on their side in the beginning, it's going to pay off dividends in the end. And it, by her, by any employee feeling more supported, um, more integrated um, and more protected and secure, of course, they're going to give more because they feel that they can be open and honest. And even one of our suggestions that we have, we're, we're working on, and it's kind of like for social media and social media planners, they have a content management calendar. Monday, they'll send out uh, a how-to tip. Friday, they'll give a little fun, fun Friday fact. If you plan what you're going to communicate with your employees and know in advance that you have to like go to the, have a little breakout with your team on a Friday 11 o'clock coffee. And if you put that into your calendar, you know in advance, it's not like you're being asked all the time um, to go to like social events. All we're asking for is give them half an hour on a Friday where you can come on and say, I've been trying to run five kilometers every day for the past week and I have failed because the kids or work is busy. And in that way, you're showing that you're human. You're showing you're real. 
And I think if you show a little bit of yourself, you'll get more back. It, it seems like there might be opportunity also here for not just with the onboarding, but it seems like understanding this aspect of onboarding and making an experience that there's an opportunity for current employees. I'm a big fan of re-socialization. So onboarding is really, we're socializing new employees to the, to the norms of the organization, to the processes, and we're and welcoming them into a community and to a tribe. Patrick says a tribe. And yeah. I think there's a new op- uh, an opportunity here also for re-socializing employees who have, might have been there for a while, who have fallen out of the focus and the scope of some of the important reasons why they think they were onboarded the company first. So mm-hmm. with this new focus on the imp- new Im- onboarding experience, is there an opportunity and what is that? to re-engage potentially employees that have been working with the company? Yeah, that's a good question and a good analogy. Obviously, the first month or the first couple of weeks for a new employee, there is a certain process that you need to do because you got to get them up and red running and working because they want to understand what they need to do. With regards to the team that has been there already, you involve them with the new member. So if it's a case that you introduce a... One thing that... Sorry, I'll give you an example. It's probably easiest... There's one client that we work with and from the research, we've ended up creating a baking club for want of a better word. So every, I think it's Tuesday, they, they'll they come in, share recipes, or they'll just have a quick chit chat about that. And, but that's bringing in the new guys and the old guys and people are learning about each other. So it is, we're taking the opportunity to learn more about the employees that have been there for a year, 10 years that you didn't know before, and also involving the new guys. And I'll give you another, an example I have. Um, there's a different company, but it's another kind of shocking story. They have a lady who's been working there for 15 years. She is incredibly intolerant to gluten, so uh, has a very major celiac problem. She, all of last year, was the one who went into the office, who checked the post, who was doing three people's jobs when other people's Wi-Fi was down, and she was just a solid individual. And Christmas came, uh, the holiday season came, there was no holiday party, so they all got hampers. Her hamper was full to the brim of gluten products. She literally, at the end of the year, she was overworked and completely undervalued. Whereas if they had made her a gluten-free hamper, she would have said, you are listening to me. You are taking into consideration my constraints and you are still making the effort to make me feel valuable and wanted. So it's just the little things. We got to listen a little bit, just a little bit harder. And it goes down to the empathy. And I think empathy in companies and the company culture has to be redefined based on where we're at because we're not physically in contact with each other. I can't read the room like if we were having make, doing this podcast face to face. I can't. I have to interpret what does the twitch of the shoulder mean? We really crave human contact, but we're not going to have it for a little while yet um, in, in the hybrid world that is awaiting us, I believe. You mentioned about the bakery group in, in, that, in that organization. What, what, about, what about the people that say, hey, there's no time for that. People get paid to come to work and to work. We're not paying them to get to, to do a bakery group and, and talk about these kinds of things during work. We pay them to work, mm-hmm. not to do that. Yeah. My argument to that will be, I bet you you'll get more out of them if you listen to them talk about something they're passionate about. You give it a half an hour or you take it up. If people are given time to talk about their passions and their interests, I think you're showing that you're interested. Now, maybe you arrange it over lunch and you have a fixed half an hour and it doesn't go into the working day. But 
because we're all working from home, I think if somebody had a great half an hour talking about key lime pie, that they would probably work on the extra hour at the end of the day because they were feeling like, oh, yeah, you know, that was great. If we just forget about the dollars or the euros just for one minute and think about the wellness and the well-being of our employees, you actually will get a higher uh, dividend or t- turnover from the staff, I, I believe. Yeah. And it, it, that does go down to an employer choice. And like you said, they are, and there's so much data to back this up. They are more likely to spend that extra hour at the end of the day that they didn't have to, to give that discretionary effort back to the company. And Sarah, what you're talking about is, so there's three different kinds of attachment and commitment to a company, which is the biggest way to reduce turnover. And you have your first two commitments, which are normative and continuous commitment. And those are basically either, look, you gave me a job and I'm going to reciprocate and give that, therefore I'm going to work. Or it's, I get my my 401k or my salary. So therefore I need that. And if I don't work, I'll lose it. And then there's your affective commitment, which you know is emotional attachment to the organization. And that is the absolute strongest type of commitment that one can have. And that is, you mentioned, and the word just stuck out, you say key lime pie. So of course, I'm just picturing this key lime pie <laughs> in my head. And it's been just hovering in my brain for, for a minute now. You're right. Understanding what their passions are. And even if it's, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big fan of even non-work related passions. I strongly believe that they can be related to a person's work experience, but that will be another, another, another time <laughs> that increases that discretionary, that affect of commitment, emotional attachment to the company and to organizations and to company leaders that say we don't have, again, it is a, it's a personal choice. But then it goes back to, we can look at the data and we can say, look, it's likely going to increase productivity and everything else that goes into productivity, like job satisfaction and morale and a sense of autonomy and appreciation. And we could go on and on. And it just makes me think back to that woman who got the basket of the goodies with all gluten in it. And that's just a nice message that says, we don't listen to you. We haven't heard you. And we don't really care except for the hours that you're putting in. So some people say, well, what happens if we take the extra 10 minutes to learn uh, per week about our employees? And then we spend the extra, probably literally 10 minutes to put an order for non-gluten things in, and we don't get anything out of it. And then the question becomes, well, what happens if we do that and do yeah. get, provide the, just that very little? And you're right. It doesn't take much more than 10, 20 minutes to start to create these relationships and yeah. have that reciprocal emotional attack. Yeah. And I think if it comes from the top and people show that if employees can see that it's coming from the top, that they're genuinely putting a little bit of themselves out there, that it makes you more approachable. We're all humans. We all want to be looked after, but in different ways. But we still want to think that somebody has our back. And that lady um, in December, she really felt like it was a kick in the shins. And she was there 15 years. And no, nobody listens. You know, it's that's she remember that for the rest of her days. It doesn't matter what they do after this every December, <laughs> the damage is done. So it's we we as leaders, we re- really need to be conscious of what we're doing and how our actions impact others. If we're not accountable, I don't think you're going to get the most out of your team, and you're not going to develop further and bring your team with you. What if I'm the kind of leader? So you mentioned being approachable. Yeah. I'm going to guess that there's some leaders out there that say, hey, hold on a second. More approachable means more vulnerable and a loss of power for me. 
I don't want to be approachable. Okay. Well, uh, if, if that were me, right, <laughs> I was in the room and I'm getting told this, I would have to appeal. Uh, I, would, I would have to probably read you at a, a figure something that would appeal to you. So is it the competitive edge? Do we have like a, a five mile race? that you can go try and win or, you know, but yet there's, there's an 18 year old who's just started, who's going to pip you at the post and you have to work it for it. There's no perfect one solution for everybody. And you have to work it so that the leader or the, the team manager is comfortable with it. And it, you have to appeal to their, you have to get them involved, involved and on board for want of a better word. And um, if you don't, you fail. Um, you know, and it can, you can have general chit chat underneath. But I think if you're looking at bringing the company forward and evolving it and changing it, there has to, a leader has to give something because if they don't, they're not willing to ask of themselves what they're willing to give. Then are they really a leader? I like how you added that in terms of look at what's important to them. Is it are they competitive? And this is where you know, many people within organizations have to deal with organizational politics. And we all know how draining and frustrating that can be. And then external coaches and consultants might not have to deal so much with the politics once they're working with the client, but there are other challenges. Back to what you said about, okay, so you may not want to feel vulnerable. Uh, you're talking you know, to an organizational leader, you may not want to feel vulnerable, you may not want to feel approachable, but what, what, makes you, what makes you go? What makes you tick? If it is competitiveness, okay, great. Because you don't really have to deeply appreciate and spend time on each employee. If that's an aspect of your personality and you believe that that will never change, guess how much of an advantage you'll have competitively over other people in the organization who might be trying to take your spot or other organizations if you appreciate your employees and you allow them to be more productive, give them more autonomy. If again, they're more highly motivated and highly skilled, that can give you a competitive edge in terms of ingenuity, uh, innovation, creativity, and productivity. Am I wrong? No, no. A mumbo jumbo for want of a better description of all of that. And I think it's really valid. So, and I think it's a good analogy of, of how to pitch to different leaders because we all have a different style. And one of my strengths is probably that we'll be reading people and reading the room. I have one client who would describe me as she sees the problem before the problem arises. When I go into that first meeting with a new potential client and I know immediately Bay Club is not going to work for him, but is the cycling club going to work for him where we all log how many miles we cycle every week? Uh, yes, it is. And is he going to be open to the idea of, you know, on a Friday, let's, we're going to finish at four and that means everybody has to do an activity at four o'clock. He's going to be the first one down with his gear on and ready to rock and roll. So it's being intuitive to your client as well. That's a great ending point. How can people learn more about Tagline events? You can check me out on taglineevents.com and with the other project that I'm on, the GFSP, that's gfsp.ae as well. And even though we're in Ireland, all of this is implementable all globally, which is super. And the team while Tagline, it's me, myself and I, but I'm pretty good at what I do there. And then with GFSP, we have decades of experience, probably too many from corporate governance, management consultancy, five-star hotel, sales, engineering, um, and then me. <laughs> so we would be, I'm delighted to hear from anybody on either platform. Excellent. Sarah, thank you. I'm sure that we'll do this again.
Thank you for having me on. I really have enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.